We, uh, we're going to do things a little bit different tonight. Instead of me hogging the uh, microphone, I brought my friend Todd Poe here. So give Todd a round of applause. How's it going? Thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, Todd is a, a good friend of mine, but he also just happens uh, to work here on staff, and he's one of our, our counselors um, that sees uh, folks that deal with fear. So Todd, you just want to quick introduce yourself and maybe just give a little sketch of who you are? Yeah. Uh, so I'm Todd. Hi. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. I think that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I've been here at Crossings uh, going on 13 years. Uh, I've known this guy for a long time. Actually, our, my first year here, I can't remember what year you came. I think it was about the, within a year of each other. Yeah. But our first staff retreat, this was my roomie at the Post Oak Lodge. Uh, the boy can snore. I Come mean, it's, it is unreal. Yep. Unreal. Unashamed. It did create a little anxiety for me, but... Um, <laughs> But I've been here 13 years. I'm in our life care ministry, which is the counseling ministry of the church. Uh, so here at Crossings, we have a leadership team. We have an elder team that believes that people's lives are not perfect and that the church is meant to be a voice of hope into the reality of what people experience on a day-to-day basis in their relationships, uh, as they're working through things from their past, and as they're preparing to allow God to work through them in the future. Um, so I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that really understands that brokenness is in all of us to various degrees at various times of our life. And the church is the, is the exact place that we should be able to go to to seek out help, to seek out wise counsel, uh, to seek out a community that can walk with us. Um, another part of my job is I get to coordinate our support and recovery groups. So on, on Monday nights, we have a thing called Care Series. Uh, so there's a little over 30 different types of classes and groups uh, based on various types of topics and, and issues and challenges that people face uh, on Monday nights. And then our Celebrate Recovery program, which meets on Thursday nights. It's a Christ-centered re- recovery program. It's also inc- an incredible community where people come together and they're just honest about what's going on in their life. They're honest about the issues that they, they face and the challenges that they have. Um, and they support each other in recovering through those and in growing in Christ, their relationship with Christ. Uh, so that's a little bit about what I do here. And what else, what else do you want to know? This is your Well, your I know chance. that we've talked a little bit in my office just kind of about this topic. So what I wanted to talk about tonight with Todd is just kind of not only just from a maybe a, our personal experience with fear, but also kind of a professional view of as a Christian counselor, how do we deal with fear and that kind of So that's what I want to talk about. So maybe what's your view of just fear in general from both maybe a personal side and a professional side? Yeah, so... Uh, one, I'm thankful that, that the gathering is doing this series because I think it's really, really important uh, because fear and anxiety does impact all of us all of us at some point in our life to some degree. Um, but it also gives us a chance to kind of clarify when are there some examples of fear and anxiety in our life where we may need some more attention, some more help, some more support than just we're having a bad day or an anxious moment. Um, so I'm thankful that, Andy, you're, you're doing this, this series. Fear is something that exists in Scripture and is spoken to throughout both the Old Testament and the, the New Testament. Obviously, the, the theme of the series, Fear Not, uh, comes from passages that, where we're given the instruction that as Christians, we don't have to live in fear. Um, in other passages, it talks about not being anxious or not living in worry. Uh, worrying about tomorrow or worrying about our clothes or money or food, all that kind of stuff, that that will be provided for us, that God is faithful. So it's a topic that is all throughout Scripture um, because it's a part of the human experience. So my first kind of real experience with with anxiety that went beyond just uh, kind of a a basic nervousness or worry uh, was when I was in college. And I didn't know it at the time or I didn't know it at that point um, but I was going through a, a difficult season, and depression is a, is a part of my family history, uh, depression and anxiety. So it's something that our family has dealt with and something that I've dealt with throughout my life. Um, but there was a particular season, my, my sophomore and junior year of college, um, where anxiety was just wrecking my life. And the way that anxiety showed up for me was, this, was with obsessive thinking. And so I would get locked into negative thoughts, uh, I would get triggered by certain things, and it was completely consuming and, and debilitating in, in my personal life. A lot of people wouldn't know that was going on outside because I hit it pretty well. So but was that like, a, like kind of that tape that runs through your head of like the same phrase over and over? Is that what you mean by like it would, it would 
just come on and debilitate you? Yeah, so the, the clinical term that we, that we use is a negative cognitive loop. And cognition is basically a fancy word for thoughts. Uh, negative. I have a lot of cognitive things going on. Yeah. Often. I'm th- Sometimes. <laughs> I wonder. Taylor, would, Taylor would wonder. <laughs> okay. uh, and, you know, negative cognitive loops are basically when we get stuck in a pattern of thinking that is destructive, um, it can be destructive to ourselves and how we're thinking about ourselves or destructive in how we're dealing with a certain situation or season in our life. Um, and for me, how that manifested was I began to isolate myself from friends. I began to isolate myself from resources that, that actually could help me and support me uh, during that time, during that season. Well, well, we'll get into, I'm sure, some more of this as we get going. But I want to jump in on our, our, our questions um, that I think we need to address. And that we got, I, I talked to some of my young adult friends and they gave me some of these questions. I thought they were good. So the first one, we're going to just jump right into the deep end. Is anxiety and fear always an issue of lacking faith in Christ for our peace? Yeah. So a uh, great question. We get this question a lot in counseling. Um, is, is the anxiety that I'm experiencing or the fear that I'm experiencing, is that really just I'm not being a good Christian? Am I lacking faith and that's why I have anxiety? And my answer to that is a very clear, it's complicated. <laughs> because uh, there are times where a presentation of anxiety has nothing to do with your level of faith. Nothing to do with it. So if you think about, here's a, here's a good example of that. Uh, you've heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, for example, in combat veterans or people that have been through a very serious car accident or something like that, for a period of time, their body may physically respond to loud noises. So you can see a physical response happen um, that, that might be over the top for, you know, for what's occurring, but that physical response is, is the body responding to something that's happened to it. It's not a faith issue in that moment. It's not, if they were a better Christian, people with PTSD wouldn't have triggers or wouldn't struggle. That, that's a lie. Uh, it's a misunderstanding of how the body responds to trauma. So something that we don't always think about is that Trauma, when you experience a trauma in your life, trauma actually has a physical impact on your body. Uh, as, as kind of our neuroimaging has gotten more advanced over the years, uh, they can show this on some brain scans. People that have experienced severe trauma, it changes the structure, the literal physical structure of their brain and how their brain functions in certain areas. There's a physical, tangible injury that occurs with trauma. And that doesn't matter if you're... Um, you know, an, an adult or a child. Certainly as a child, trauma can have a significant impact. Um, but as an adult as well, you go through a traumatic experience, uh, especially if it's a prolonged traumatic experience, which is why combat is so impactful. It, Tom, real quick, is, is that trauma typically something that you had no control over that kind of happened to you? Yeah, a lot of time that's, that's a core part of, or a core piece of trauma. Okay. Um, that there's something that's out of my control that's occurring that is either threatening my life or threatening someone else that I, that I love. Uh, there's a threat involved in trauma. Um, so in a way, we can talk about how trauma leaves tangible scars. And so if that's the case, it's, it's similar to breaking your leg or pulling a muscle. And we wouldn't tell somebody that has a broken leg, hey, if you just had more faith, your leg wouldn't hurt anymore, or you'd go ahead and jog like you usually do. We would say, no, you need to get treatment, you need to get help, you need to allow that leg to heal so that you can get back to a place where you can actually function as God intended you to function. Um, so we have to think about how the, the intersection of faith and anxiety, or what does it mean to trust God in the face of anxious moments, or maybe I'm truly facing something that we, we would classify as clinical anxiety. It gets a little bit complex. The other side to that is, just because there's a clinical side or a physiological side to my anxiety doesn't mean that there's now no spiritual side to it. And that's where uh, learning some of the tools from Scripture um, can be very useful in assisting us as we begin to deal with the anxiety that we have. So here's another example of that. So one of the ways that I tried to treat myself in college was somebody gave me a book. It's, it's actually a really good book uh, by Beth Moore. It's called Praying God's Word. And she basically just goes through different scriptures and teaches you to pray these scriptures into your day or into your life or based on, you know, whatever you're facing. This was the problem for me because at the time, I also didn't know that how my anxiety manifested was through obsessive thinking. 
So what would happen was I would pick a topic that I was struggling with. I would start praying about that topic. I would read scripture about that topic. And the only thing that would happen was that my anxiety would get worse because all I was doing was rehearsing the anxiety and focusing even more on the anxiety. We call this the purple cow syndrome. And this is kind of, it's kind of tricky because in church we're told you're supposed to pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. Um, well, we have to bring wisdom to some of those statements. The purple cow syndrome is whatever you do, do not picture a purple cow that has white polka dots. As I'm talking about a purple cow, do not picture, do not picture a purple cow in your mind. Okay? Don't do it. I see your look on your face. Uh, don't picture a purple cow. And the more you try not to think about a purple cow, the more that image pops up in your head. Okay, so the more that I was reading scripture and praying, uh, the worse my anxiety was getting. So at that point, what I didn't know is what I needed to do is then reach out for some community and reach out for help. And God, scripture tells us that. You know, we're to, we're to seek help, we're to seek community, we're to seek wise counsel, because nobody in this room including me or Andy, has all of the tools necessary to face all of the issues that we might, that we might come to or face in life. So we have to um, be willing to reach out for help in those moments. And as soon as I did, that was through counseling for me and telling some people that I was struggling with some of this, I began to experience some healing and growth uh, to move through that season. Well, we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the power of being known and, well, actually the fear of being found out. So what you're saying is part, some of the tools that we can look to to maybe overcome some of that fear and trauma is actually being known and reaching out and letting people know like, hey, I got some issues I'm dealing with. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll work with people um, because in, in, in the life care counseling, we see people that are Crossings members. So everybody that comes to me is attending church as well. So they have some context for the Christian faith uh, to, to varying degrees. Um, and a lot of times one of the presentations I'll see is somebody's been struggling with fear and anxiety for a long time, but they know from scripture that they're not supposed to be afraid they're not, that they're not supposed to be anxious, so they've been afraid to tell anybody. And so they've lived with that for years, for a long time. And their freedom began when they're actually able to just own it and allow themselves to be known, yeah. that they told somebody. Well, and that, and that was kind of one of my next questions, is we see that, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, like in uh, Isaiah 41, we see it says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then in Philippians 4, 6 is that famous verse, do not be anxious about anything. So I think what, and what we talked about was there's a command there, but there's no instruction. And so is that kind of what you're talking about, some of the instructions? So what is the instruction? Yeah, so we're, we're often given commands in scripture, and then we have to fill in the instruction or the how-to. So fear not is a command, but just knowing that we're supposed to fear not does not automatically uh, teach me how to not fear. Is that how you say that? Yes. Okay. Um, it, it would be the equivalent of me saying, you need to go win the college national championship, the football national championship. Go win it. And you could agree with me that's a good thing, but just agreeing with me that you should win the national championship doesn't mean that you're automatically there or can do it. You have to put in the training, the work, seek help, seek help get a coach, all that kind of stuff. So the command that we're given sets up, it kind of gives us a vision and a goal of how we're to live. Be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, bring your requests to the Lord. So that's part of the instruction part. It, it's interesting. If you, if you go back to the Isaiah passages, I think it's Isaiah 41 and then Isaiah 43. If you look at the context of that, before he's telling them not to be afraid or not to fear, he's also reminding them who they are. It's kind of an interesting theme and pattern. The first, the prophet says, you are God's chosen people. You are his chosen sons and daughters. And in the context of that, then he says, so fear not. So what's happening there, it's, it's, a, it's actually a, a tool that we use in, in psychological treatment, which we call anchoring, is you're anchoring yourself to a truth that helps steady you through the face of a storm or a trial. In that case, the truth is, I don't have to be afraid because I know who my heavenly father is. And if you know who your heavenly father is, you know his character and you know what he has promised. So for example, we can use scripture as an incredible tool to address our anxiety by reciting passages um, that help us to ground ourselves in God's truth. It's, it's kind of like the story of Simon Peter walking on the water. So he steps out of the boat, Jesus calls him out of the boat, and then he begins to see the storms, the waves, and the wind, and all that stuff, and he begins to sink. He becomes afraid, and he sinks. 
But when he fixes his eyes on Jesus, um, he's okay. He's, he's safe. He's saved. So we're able to do that when we, when we address anxiety and fear as well. Um, but we have to be willing to train and work towards that goal of fearing not. The, di- the di- dynamic that I see that's unfortunate is people here in church don't fear you shouldn't be anxious, but then they feel very frustrated that they're not able to actually walk that out, and then shame creeps in, and then I try to pretend that I'm really more okay than I actually am, um, which keep, then leads to isolation. Yeah. So. It seems like it's kind of a, a vicious cycle yeah. unless you actually engage in the instruction and, and doing some things practically instead of just trying to will your way, you know, like, okay, I'm going to stop being afraid. You got to actually, I, I think I used a couple weeks ago the idea of telling me to stop slicing my golf ball. Like, well, that's great. I want to do that. But I need to go enlist some, some professional help uh, to do that. So moving on here, because we got, we, got, we got several things to go through here is... Um, Have you seen a slice, by the way? It's, no? Okay. It's bad. Yeah. We'll pray for you. Thank you. Let's, let's pray over that. Um, let's just pray that I can get out on the golf course. That, that's probably the first prayer. Um, well, Todd, you probably, I mean, you've been doing this for a while, and I know... Um, you've even talked about you've dealt with some depression and some fear and anxiety. What are some, from your experience? What are some of the foundational um, fears that you see on a reoccurring basis? Some themes that maybe um, would be helpful for us to know. They're like, hey, I'm not alone. So, what are some of those foundational things that you see? Yeah, so I think one of the core fears that we all carry is the fear of being known, the fear of truly being known and being rejected. And you can see that fear manifest itself in a lot of different ways um, in people's lives of all ages, really. Uh, the fear of being truly known and then rejected. Because at our core, we seek to be accepted by others. We desire to be loved. We desire to be embraced. Um, that's a part of our desire to seek a spouse and be married, uh, that somebody would accept me for the rest of my life. Um, so the fear of being known and then rejected can, can be very impactful on a person's life because if we're afraid of being known and rejected, we may try to present ourselves in ways that we think other people will be more apt to accept us and love us. And so we create what we call a false self or a false identity that's based on what I think you guys want to see me as. And as the more I get into my false self, the less I am who God created me to be which is one of the, the problems with that strategy. Um, I think another... Well, let, me, let me start with that. How, do you, how can you self-diagnose if you have created a, a false self? Or like, how do, you, how do we know, how are you self-aware enough to know, like, hey, I'm actually this person, but I project this. Like, how, wh- how do you diagnose that in yourself? Uh, you go home and you look in the mirror and you say three times, am I me? I was kidding. <laughs> I'll try that. <laughs> Am I me? Oh, man. And if you don't know, if you can't answer that, you've created a false self. Okay. So, no, so here's, here's some of the symptoms that we've created a false identity. Actually, anxiety is one of those symptoms. Uh, we see higher rates. It's kind of like the more f- uh, fragmented we become or the more dis- disconnected we become from who God has made us, the more instances we see of substance abuse. Um, the higher rates of depression and anxiety that we see. We see more conflict in relationships um, because those are a byproduct of being disconnected from who God has made us and who God has created us to be. Because we're gonna, if I'm creating a false self, false self, I'm also looking to utilize an object outside of me to make myself feel okay. So I may use a relationship. I may use a substance. I may use a status. So if I can just you know, appear really, really successful, then I'll be okay. And essentially, those become my idols. Those become the things that I worship and look to to secure me and secure who I am. Uh, All the while, it it just creates more and more chaos in my life. Which then would take us back to the Isaiah passage where we're being reminded of who we are versus seeking something outside of ourselves creation-wise to complete us or identify who we are. Okay. What, um, another question that kind of comes along with that, what about um, the fear of kind of letting go? Uh, like, how do you see that playing out along with the fear of being known? But is that a foundational fear of that, maybe that control? Yeah, so um, we seek to control things to feel more comfortable with our life. 
And so for me, you know, I think the fear of letting go has, has been a difficult journey. Uh, so part of my story is I, I, I grew up in Oklahoma. I was a preacher's kid, um, became a Christian when I was seven. In the eighth grade, I felt a call to the ministry, uh, worked at a, was a youth pastor at a church in college, and then kind of took a year off to fi- after college to figure out, God, what are you calling me to? What am I supposed to do? And during that year, I felt God calling me to a season of singleness, to not date, to not pursue a wife, um, was this, which was actually one of my greatest fears. Like I would hear people talk in church and they would talk about, yeah, God called me to singleness. And be like, I do not want to hear that because I do not want that. I to do be not want to be called to that ministry. Yeah, I do. That is not me. <laughs> like send me anywhere in the world, but not that. And so during that year, I, I really sensed God was calling me to a season of singleness. And at the time I had been in a long-term relationship and that came to an end. And I thought, okay, this makes sense. Three months, um, this will be a good reset. I'll find myself, I'll get back in the game and everything will be fine. And that three months turned into a year and that turned into three years, that turned into six years and then eventually 12 years was how long that season of singleness lasted for me. Um, So I'm living proof, one, that you can live your worst nightmare and be okay, truthfully. Because what I found through that season is that God had something he needed to do in my heart. And that just happened to be for me an area of surrender that he desired. Like when God tells us, I want you to lay down your life. I want you to lay down your dreams. And I want you to submit those to me. Like he means it. He means all of our dreams, all of our hopes, all of our desires. Because he's the one that is best equipped to hold those. And my desire to be married and have kids and a family, um, it it was an idol for me. It was something that I was holding on to very tightly. And until God kind of called me on the carpet with that, um, I didn't realize it. So I had to learn to let go, but I wasn't just letting go into nothing. Because Jesus was saying, God was saying, Todd, I want you to let go of this desire and commit it to me, but I want you to grab hold of me and come with me on this journey. It was basically, and I remember kind of thinking about it this way, God was saying, I want you to come walk with me through the desert because there's some things I need to teach you. And in scripture, it's, it's interesting. You see the desert is often used as a time of refinement, uh, both like in Israel's life and Jesus's life when he was tested. And that was my beginning of my desert season. But it started with a choice to trust and let go and to walk in an unknown instead of uh, claiming a right for a certainty. And it, it makes me think of uh, this this concept shows up in, I think, all of the Gospels, at least three of them, um, where Jesus is talking about if you want to save your life, you're going to end up losing it. So basically, if you want to control everything that happens in your life, you're going to squeeze the life out of it. And you're going to end up losing the very things that you hold dear. But if you lose your life for my sake, that is when you'll truly find the peace and freedom in the life that you're looking. It's an exchange. And I think that passage holds a lot of hope for me um, because one, I've experienced that personally. And my story is not, I surrendered my greatest hope and stepped into my greatest fear. And then a couple years later, God came through with this super hot wife. And, you know, that's not what has happened at this point uh, because I'm not married at this point. Um, But what I did find was that in the midst of that season of singleness, I was given an incredible peace that truly surpasses all understanding, like Scripture says, that I knew, even though I hated, many times hated the situation of my life and the fear and anxiety that I was feeling, I wouldn't trade it because I knew that I was walking in obedience. And for me, that became a very grounding thing and is also something that has helped me deal with my anxiety even today. Because anxiety is a part of life. Fear is a part of life. And I like to think of a lot of things on a bell curve. So you all remember the, the bell curve thing. So there's an optimal level on a bell curve. And it's the same way with fear and anxiety. Too little fear and anxiety, and you're going to get yourself into trouble in a lot of different ways. Going back to my example a couple weeks ago about the fear of bears. Fear That's of a bears. healthy fear. Yes. That's a good fear. Yeah. You should fear bears yes. okay. uh, in the wild, That's... especially if you're wearing a meat jacket. Then that, you should yes. really fear bears. <laughs> But if you have too much fear and anxiety on the other end of the spectrum, then it becomes debilitating. And that's one of the ways you can know if the anxiety that you experience moves moves beyond just a normative level. 
So if your anxiety or worry or concern has been pervasive for a long period of time, if it's something you're dealing with every day, and that can look like, um, you know, basic uh, symptoms of anxiety can be increased heart rate, um, sweating, nervousness, that type of thing, hyperventilating. Uh, it begins to impact your relationships. Maybe you don't want to go to certain places or be a part of certain groups uh, or take, you know, certain opportunities because you're fearful it might go poorly. Uh, if that's been a persistent pattern over your life, then you have a different level of anxiety that, that needs more uh, support than just kind of praying through it. And it's not that prayer is not powerful. I'm not saying that. Uh, it's just we, we need to use the tools that God has given us to address those things as well. I tell people all the time, um, actually, I was going to, are we going to talk about medication? Yes, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, should I, Christians take medication? Should Christians for take anxiety? For anxiety. There's the question. So here's a very clear answer to that. It's complicated. Um, <clears throat> so sometimes the answer is absolutely yes. And the, sometimes the answer is it, it might not be useful yet. So best practice treatment of anxiety is a combination of psychotropic medication, uh, therapy, some type of cognitive behavioral therapy, and also addressing the basics of health. And the basics of health are your sleep, your diet, and exercise. It is very hard to be mentally healthy, and I would argue it's very hard to be spiritually healthy if you're not also addressing your sleep, your diet, and exercise. Because those are the basic building blocks of stewarding ourselves, stewarding the body that God has given us. God says, your body is a temple, we're to steward that. So that's, that's our starting point. So there are times where absolutely medication is going to be appropriate if utilized in the context. And, and a doctor that is doing good work is going to know the best practice is, I can give you some medication that will assist during the season, but you're still going to have to learn to cope with your anxiety. So you need to go to counseling. You need to be a part of a healthy community. You need to do all those things because there is no quick fix. There's no quick fix to anxiety. There's no quick fix to depression. Um, there's some medications that can assist that to get you to a place where you, you may no longer need it. Um, but it's, it's something that, you know, we say if you have diabetes, it does, it's not a lack of faith to take insulin. And because we can show physically, brain scans and different stuff, that anxiety, there is a tangible uh, source to that. And there's, there's varying theories on where anxiety comes from. Some of it uh, is believed to be genetic. Some of it can be just brain chemistry, how your wiring is. Uh, and then, of course, presence of trauma in your history is going to impact the level of anxiety that you feel. But there are times where medication is appropriate, but it's not a quick fix. Uh, it's more like a floaty, you know, until you learn to swim on your own. And there's times where jumping to medication is probably... Uh, doing it too soon, too early. So um, we, we work with people uh, that, that have severe, you know, different levels of anxiety, sometimes really, really severe. And one of my uh, areas of study in, in grad school was on obsessive compulsive disorder, partly because I related to the obsessive thinking. I didn't really have the compulsion side, but the obsessive thinking I really, you know, related to. There are people that, that can't function daily because of their OCD, because of their anxiety. In those cases, it is absolutely important and healthy to seek medical attention um, that can assist in balancing your chemistry uh, during that time period. Um, but then there's other people that come to our office and say, I'm feeling really anxious about something that's going on in our relationship or my marriage, and they really don't need medication at that point. They can try you know, getting into a group and learning some new tools to address their anxiety uh, learning some passages in scripture that can be helpful, sharing with a family member or a friend what they're going through. Um, and that's the best course of action for them. So it's kind of, there's not a clear cut answer. It kind of depends on the situation. Um, but we have to be careful with these suggestions that you know, occasionally I'll hear, I'll hear pastors make the comment that any mental, mental health issue is just a faith issue. And I cringe at that because one, it's it's a lack of understanding of how our bodies work when it comes to mental health. And so we have to be willing to do our homework, do our research, and, and find out what's best for you. Not every medication works the same for everybody. Um, but I believe that God has equipped us to use wisdom with medicine uh, to really help us grow in our discipleship and move through difficult times in our life. Well, so, and this was, I mean, kind of moving along with our questions here is, is 
how do you, well, let me ask it this way. Everybody seems to have at least some level of fear and anxiety at, at certain moments. Some people higher, some more consistent is kind of what I'm hearing you say. So whether you are low level anxious or, you know, debilitating anxiety, why, like at the core, why is it important that we not ignore fears? And maybe even from, a, you know, what we hear Christians say is like, well, you just need to pray more. Like, well, why is it to lean into it instead of trying to repress it or pretend like it doesn't exist or hide it? Why is it important for us to actually enter into the instructional, hey, I, I need to self-care here. Like, why is that important? Your, your fears will eventually, if gone unaddressed, your fears will limit your capacity. And whether that's a fear of engaging a certain kind of uh, job or or going back to school, or a fear of moving to a certain place, or a fear of being alone. Fears that go unaddressed begin to dictate what our lives look like. And Scripture says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, that we're called to be courageous, that we're called to live in freedom and peace, and a peace that comes from Him, a peace that comes from His grace and mercy and what He did on the cross, that that is meant to ground us. That is meant to influence what our lives look like. Fear is not. So if we don't address fears in our life, um, they're going to have a much greater influence at the end of the day than you really want. So we have to be willing to talk about it. Talk about what those fears are because they're going to impact you one way or the other. Well, it sounds like, I mean, from a fear perspective, that whether it's a big fear or small fear, it is going to impact you. There's no anxiety or fear that just we can just have a pet fear and it's not really going to affect us. It sounds like you're saying like, regardless of the height, you know, random or occasional, it's going to impact your life. Okay. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's some fears that, that, that like, I'm afraid of the fourth season of stranger things. Like that's not, not something that's necessarily going to have a significant impact on my relationships or life. But um, there are, you know, we all have, our own insecurities. Every one of you has insecurities. And those insecurities have gone unaddressed. They influence the decisions you make. They influence the type of uh, relationships that you get in. They influence actually what you're attracted to. That's another important factor of it. So if you find yourself continuing to be in destructive relationships, there's likely some fears and insecurities that are influencing the very things that you're they're shaping what you're attracted to. Um, and if you're not walking with somebody or talking with somebody about those things, they're going to get you into situations that aren't going to be healthy for you. So all this talk about fear. So what is our goal? Like, we, like the Isaiah passage or Philippians 4 kind of gives you the idea that like you sh- there's going to be a point where you don't fear anything and it's going to be gone forever. Is that the goal of what we're trying to accomplish as, as followers of Jesus, keeping our eyes on Christ, remembering who we are? Like what's, what's, what's the end goal here? Yeah, so I would say the, the goal isn't to completely get rid of anxiety and fear because that's a, it's just not realistic. And you may not feel anything that you're fearful of or anxious about today, but in 10 years or 20 years, there may be something that happens in your life that creates an enormous amount of fear and anxiety. So the goal is not to get rid of that because it's not realistic. The goal is to learn how to deal with our fear and anxiety in a way that brings about growth in us and increases our trust and our faith in Christ. And I think that's a that's a maybe oversimplified a little bit, um, but we want to learn how can I deal with my anxiety and fear in a way that I don't allow it to control me. When Paul talks about, uh, when he's writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians, and he talks about, you guys need to take captive your thoughts. He's basically saying, we're to be in charge of our thoughts, not the other way around. Our thoughts are not meant to be in charge of us. It's just kind of a weird, it's an interesting philosophical uh, kind of concept that Paul throws out there. We're to be in control of our thoughts because we're to be stewards of the life that God has given us. We're to be wise. We're to be tempered. uh, We're to be in control of our thoughts. So um, addressing our fear and anxiety, learning to do that in a healthy way really equips us. That's really what creates peace as well, that if I know that regardless of what comes my way, I know how to address this. Maybe not by myself, but I know I can call Andy if I'm really struggling with something, or I can call another friend or a pastor or a counselor. Um, that's really where we gain peace and strength 
and facing the trials or challenges that you may face in the future. So, I mean, so what you're saying is maybe a, a, a tangible tool is to find some safe people that you can let in on, on what's going on so that you have, you're not dealing with it by yourself. When it comes on you, you get triggered, whatever, that you can call, text, and have somebody walk with you through that. So let's kind of go down that road of some practical steps. So I want, I want us to be able to walk out of here saying like, all right, if I do deal with fear, if I got some anxiety about this, like what, I mean, I know this is kind of like a counseling session with Todd here, but like what, uh, what are some simple steps maybe that we can take walking out of here tonight that would help us, or maybe even a friend, maybe we have a, a roommate or a friend that we know deals with anxiety, like how do we help them? Because like, I think a lot of times um, what I see is maybe the, those who struggle with anxiety expect people to be able to help them understand them completely, and they maybe get disappointed or let down when that friend doesn't do what they thought they should do. Like, so what, I mean, what, how do we help our friends? How do we help ourselves some practical things that we can do? Yeah, so I think the, the first step for yourself is just being honest uh, with yourself. And there's, there's times in my life where I've had to uh, come to the point where I was just honest that I'm not managing this part of my life well. And so the next step needs to be, I need to tell somebody that. So I need to reach out for community. Um, in a community like this, you know, at Crossings, our, our biases, we believe this is how God created us, that we're built and meant to live in relationship and community. That's God how designed us. God didn't design us to live in isolation. And when we get isolated from others, when we get isolated from healthy community, we begin to essentially shrivel and die. Uh, when we're connected, that's when we thrive. Um, so there's going to be times or seasons in your community where somebody's going to be struggling with anxiety or with fear in a way that's debilitating. And the first thing I tell people is take them seriously. Just because maybe I haven't experienced the same fear or anxiety as somebody else has doesn't mean that their experience isn't real. So I want to be gracious in the way that I listen, and I want to take people seriously, even if I completely disagree with their logic or what they're saying, a lot of times people just want to be heard. They just want to share and, and, and be listened to. Uh, they don't want to be fixed. And so taking somebody seriously, even if you don't understand it, that's not just good advice for community living. That's also great advice for marriage. We spend a lot of time with couples trying to teach that and trying to deal with injuries that have happened in the past because they didn't do that well. So I only laugh because I have a lot of experience with that. Oh, yeah? Yes, I'm, I'm a fixer. Yeah. It, it took me about probably three to four years of marriage before we had a good conversation about, Andy, I don't need you to fix me because then that tells me I'm a problem. And that never dawned on me. Yeah. And I you're, thought, like, well, you're like, but this makes me feel so good when I fix you. Yeah, I'm like, I, I know what's wrong and I can fix it all for you. So if you just do this. But what she was hearing was, I'm a problem. And that never dawned on me. And so I think, yes, good, being a good listener is hard. Being a, what I've learned is listening is difficult. Well, it takes patience. Yes. It takes patience, and, it takes, and patience takes time. And I have to be willing to, uh, Marty spoke this Sunday uh, about being generous. We're called to be generous as Christians. And I thought it was a great sermon because we often think about generosity as financial or monetary. But, you know, he, he said that, you know, being the call for us to be generous can mean being generous with your time, um, being generous with the resources that you have, the giftings that you have, not just money. So it, it takes patience to listen to somebody well. Um, and, and then also suggesting to a friend, hey, have you ever thought about talking to a counselor before? Have you ever thought about talking to a pastor about what you're going through or the anxiety that you're experiencing? Um, you know, I'll pray for you and I'll be here with you. Uh, maybe it's time to reach out, and get some professional help. Like one of the ways that I, that I kind of have seen this happen in multiple uh, relationships in my life, but also in, through ministry is that there's just, and I think we may have talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, was the uh, urgent care versus ER visit is that maybe sometimes we need an ER visit, but we're looking to urgent care to, to fix everything. We're really urgent care is just more of a, a referral, like, yes, you actually probably need to go to the ER. So, but I, is that kind of a, would, would you agree, like, that's an, a natural tendency is like we go to maybe our friends or our small group, like you said, be known, but maybe they're not going to have the tools 
to really walk you through and help you. Is that a fair way to describe that? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a good way to think about it. If, if you're in a relationship or somebody in your small group or community um, is, is coming to you with kind of the same issue over and over again and you find yourself not knowing what to say, uh, the first word of advice is don't, don't try to make something up. I mean, you don't have to give answers to questions you don't know. Um, but if that pattern begins to happen, it's probably time to suggest, hey, let's go, let's go talk to Andy um, or let's go get connected with um, one of our leaders and let's talk to them about what's going on. It's, it's also, we all have our limits. Um, like I meet with people for 50 minutes or counseling sessions are 50 minutes. And we're not always done with everything at the end of that time, but I have to stop that time so that I can meet with somebody else. And so being a good friend doesn't mean that I give you 100% access 100% of the time to me. Um, that's going to drive me nuts, and I'm not going to be very supportive to you. So we still have to set boundaries. Um, you know, that's, that's wise as well. Uh, but we can, you know, it's interesting. They've done in the last five to six years in the world of attachment theory, and that's just a, a, a part of psychology where they're studying the relationship between how we connect and attach to each other. They've done some studies where they'll put a couple in a room and they'll, uh, it's kind of, I guess a little weird, but they'll hook up one of the spouses to a device that gives them an electrical shock uh, that's, that's enough to register pain. Um, and what they sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it actually after the gathering tonight. In Taylor, the lobby. come on out. Let's, so let's, uh, <laughs> But what they found through some of these studies is that your body registers pain differently when you're in the presence of somebody that you know loves you. Your physical body registers pain differently on little measurements when you're in the presence of somebody that you're close to and connected to versus when you're by yourself. And I think this is where science and psychology does a great job of really reflecting the truth that we see in Scripture and how God has made us and how God has wired us. So that applies also to anxiety and fear, that we will potentially be less anxious and less fearful if we know that people have our back, if we know that people are with us. I think it's one of the reasons why we see in that Isaiah passage that they're reminded who they are. I am with you. You're my children. I'm your father. I am your God. The world is scary. The world is hard. But you can face the world without fear because of who you are, who I've made you. So, That's really good. That's really fascinating. I mean, just because last week we talked about that idea of God did not create us to be in isolation. He created us to be with him and with his creation. So that's, I mean, that's fascinating. So last, last question, and then maybe we can let you wrap it up here in a second. But so, well, let me recap real quick. So to, to help others or help ourselves, we need to first maybe admit that we're not handling X area of our life well. And then step two would be bring somebody in to say, hey, I'm not handling this well. Will you listen to me? And then to help be good listeners, be empathetic, be generous with our time, that kind of thing. So that my next question that kind of goes along with that is, at what point should we move past the urgent care of our friends, our roommates, our small group, to say, you know what, I probably do need to... Like, how do you know that you, I need to go see some, somebody that's got some ER tools to really help me walk through this from a professional standpoint? Honestly, sometimes you may not know until you're actually sitting across from a professional. Um, we always encourage people, don't wait till your life is in crisis to go to counseling. Because counseling is not just for, for crisis mode. Um, we all need coaching. We all need mentors. We all need that kind of support and assistance. So sometimes it's not going to show up to you actually talk to somebody because you may not know if your anxiety or the fear that you're experiencing, uh, you may not actually know the level of impact it's having on your life until you talk to somebody that, that can help you walk through that. But if you have a question about it, it doesn't hurt to sit down and ask um, and to go ahead and reach out or make an appointment with somebody. Um, well, I think there's probably a little bit of a stigma that you guys probably see of going to see a counselor. I know that I've talked to people like, well, only crazy people go to go see a therapist. And I don't think that's, I mean, Taylor and I are, are, you know, one of the best things we ever did in a marriage was go see a marriage counselor when we were not in crisis. Because what we realized was to put aside specific time to have someone ask us good questions is really good. Because on date night, we don't want to get into that. We just want to enjoy a meal and go to a movie or something or just go for a walk. We don't want to get into, and they ask great diagnostic questions because they're not emotionally connected 
to our, our marriage. And so they were out, he was able to ask us really good questions that we never would have thought of that even helped diagnose some things. Do you see that kind of like maybe as a diagnosis piece as well? Yeah, so I, I talk about counseling as, I use the example of every professional athlete, regardless of their skill level, and if they're a professional athlete, they have some skills, otherwise they wouldn't be a pro. Every professional athlete has a coach and has a team of coaches that help them to perform at their optimal level. And when you think about, we believe that relationship and how we steward ourselves are the most important thing in our life as a Christian. It's, it's the vehicle that God uses to take his gospel to the world. If you look at Paul's letters, all of Paul's letters are addressing relational issues in the church. Like we can't separate the gospel and who Jesus is from relationship. They're inseparable because God says, take my truth and go live this out. How we know what love is, how we know what forgiveness is, how we know what mercy is, how we know what grace is, is because we experience that in a tangible way in a relationship. If it's just a theory or letters in a book, it's not going to have the impact on our heart. Um, so every professional athlete has a coach and none of us are born with all the skills to know how to do life well. We have to learn those. We have to acquire those. And just because you graduate high school or graduate college or graduate graduate school or get a doctorate doesn't mean that learning is over for you. Because you, maybe you're in your 20s, maybe you're newly married, or maybe you're in your 30s. Um, you've never been that age before then. You never faced exactly the same situation as you're facing now. Um, so it never hurts to have a coach in your corner. Yeah. Well, Todd, this is all really, man, this is, this is really good. I've learned a lot just in our prep time and even tonight. Um, so kind of a, a, as a parting thought, as a Christian counselor, how would you encourage us as we walk forward into our faith and into our life dealing with anxiety and fear? Like how, what's, what's an encouraging, um, I mean, because you see a lot of stuff. So how, how can we, we let these guys go tonight feeling encouraged as they walk into a life that is going to ha- have Fear and anxiety. The first thing I would say is to fear not is a simple command, but it is not simplistic. And when we try to apply overly simplistic anecdotes to situations or issues that we're facing, we're going to fall short. You are complex as a human being. Your history, your experiences, the culture you grew up in, the culture you live in now, the the time of history that you live in now, all of that influences and has an impact on how you think, what you believe, the things that you desire and hope for. We are complex. Scripture says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're not simple people. And because of that, we don't want to apply simple solutions or simplistic solutions to some of the challenges that we face in our life. Nobody regrets when they take... um, growth or when they take uh, seeking help seriously, nobody regrets that. It either doesn't help at all um, or they get better. Typically, that's how it works. And so when we get serious about addressing fear and anxiety in our life and asking God, one, you know, one of the, uh, my favorite prayers in Scripture in the Psalms is when the psalmist writes, search my heart, O God, and reveal anything within me that is not pleasing to you. It's a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of submission in Psalms 139. And I think it gives us a good picture of how we're to start and finish every single day of our life. God, search my heart, search, test my anxious thoughts, reveal to me the things that you want to change and address in my life. If we're to take captive our thoughts, that calls us to action. And so we hear some simple commands that are based on God's truth, and then God equips us to go out and learn how to make that a reality in our life. Most of the, well, the fruits of the Spirit, about, I about said most of the fruits of the Spirit are a fruit, but all the fruits of the Spirit are a fruit. The fruits of the Spirit are a fruit. You ever think about that? We used to sing that song in youth group growing up, fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. The fruits of the Spirit are a fruit, which means they are a byproduct. So if you're going to be patient, if you're going to be kind, if you're going to be gentle, Those are a byproduct of something else. Not living in fear, not living in anxiety is a byproduct, is a fruit of an investment of work, an investment of learning tools, an investment of studying scripture to see who does God really say that I am and who who does God really say that who he is and how does that impact and influence my day-to-day life. 
So we take this stuff seriously um, because God, I believe, God truly wants to speak to our anxieties and our fears to bring about growth and healing. We can't assume that all of our anxieties are necessarily a bad thing that we want to avoid because learning to understand what we're anxious about is really going to reveal some of the areas that God wants to work in your life. I was incredibly anxious about singleness. And through that process, I learned that I had made marriage an idol. And an idol is never going to satisfy because it's not meant to, it can't. And so learning to live in surrender instead of learning to live in pursuit of idols was something that happened to me because I took my anxiety seriously. And it's not like I don't still deal with that today. I think at different ages, that anxiety for me has hit me in different ways. When I was 25, singleness meant one thing. When I was 30, it meant another. When I was 33, it meant a whole other thing with a whole other set of you know, calculations and thoughts of what my life is gonna look like as a 68-year-old with a two-year-old boy. You know, that's just weird. Because um, that's where we go, you know, worst case yeah, scenario. Worst case scenario. Yeah. So I guess my encouragement to you guys is life is complicated. You're complicated. We, we kind of need to get over that. Scripture's over that. If you look at the stories in Scripture, they're a mess. The people in Scripture are a mess. But Sometimes the, it's very encouraging to yeah. see the mess of people's lives in mm -hmm. Scripture, that God still uses them He's still faithful in their life, yeah. and he has a purpose and a plan for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's the power of the gospel. That's the power of our resurrection Christ, that he speaks into the reality of our life, not the shiny, cleaned-up version. He speaks into the ugliness and the nastiness that lives within our hearts, and he says, my love for you will purify you of that, if you will trust me and if you will follow me, so... Well, Todd, thank you, man. I appreciate it. We'll, I mean, we'll both be around here for just a few minutes afterwards. So if you guys have a, an individual question, um, it's not a counseling session, but I mean, if you got something that, or you want more clarification on something, uh, we'd be glad to talk with you. But let me pray for us and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Lord, I just want to thank you uh, just for the way that you've made us, that you have uh, created each one of us uh, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made and God, that you care for us and you know exactly how we tick. Uh, and God, I pray that you would maybe free us tonight of uh, some of the fears and anxiety that grip us and control us. God, thank you for Todd and the wisdom he shared with us tonight. Lord, I pray that it would be an encouragement uh, to those um, that need to hear it. So God, I pray you just uh, leave us tonight uh, encouraged and challenged that we might seek you, that we might step into your community and into the process of working through our fear and anxiety in a healthy way. In your son's name, amen. Guys, it's been great. Uh, just a quick reminder, we will be back next Tuesday. College students, as soon as you're done here, you're going to have a, a discussion across the hall here. Guys, we'll see you. Have a great night.